0: Please open your Bibles this morning to that small epistle toward the end, named 2 John. The epistle of 2 John. This is what I believe about the words of God. The words of the Lord are pure words, purified seven times. Every word of God is pure. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. You may not have read Second John very many times. You may not have quoted a verse from Second John in a while, but there's truth here for us, Amen. and I only know one way to preach, and I don't want to learn a second. I'm told how to preach in Nehemiah chapter 8 and verse 8. So they read in the law of God distinctly and gave the sense. And caused the people to understand the reading. Asking for manna from heaven is not asking for a beautiful sound from the pulpit. Asking for manna from heaven is asking for the words of God with understanding for you to know what God has done for you and what you ought to do for Him. Preaching is not so much of an art as it is taking the Word of God and explaining it to your ears. And so I do that this morning with the second epistle of our beloved brother John and this one to an elect lady. Every girl and every woman should ask themselves... Do I live in such a way that the Apostle John would write an epistle to me? And that God would consider it worthy of being included in the canon of 27 books of our New Testament. You ladies know about First and Second Timothy, that two epistles were written to a young man named Timothy. You know about the book of Titus written to another young man. You know about the book of Philemon, written to another man. This was written to a lady. And this is a real lady. And every girl and woman in here ought to want to be this lady, or to be like this lady. And may the Lord bless you with understanding and conviction to say, I want to be an elect lady, loved in the truth, and well reported of by all good men, And if there were an apostle, he would want to write an epistle to me. There is no pride. There is no arrogance or foolishness in such a desire. And if you think so, you misunderstand the Bible from beginning to end. The Bible says to covet earnestly the best gifts. It tells you to covet good things in the Word of God. So this should be your desire. I'm going to take the the epistle one verse at a time, explain it to you, and then we're going to apply it with the lessons that it teaches us that may be somewhat hid behind the words, but we'll bring them out, Lord willing. Let's begin. Second John and the first verse. The elder unto the elect lady and her children, whom I love in the truth, and not I only, but also all they that have known the truth. The elder here is the Apostle John. We don't need to speculate or wonder about it, because the writing of this epistle is so obviously similar to the first epistle of John and to his gospel. His wording here is so similar, you can see the difference when you read Paul or you read John, or you read John and you read Peter. There's a difference. And there's a great God in heaven who is able to inspire men that we get God's words... Through the soul, the heart, the life, the experiences, the temperament, and the character of the writer. That's why they're different. Solomon certainly didn't write like Paul. Paul didn't write like John. But here we have the elder. Now, John was an elder because he was an apostle, so he was an elder, or a respected position of authority in the churches of Jesus Christ, but he was also an old man. So he was elder. The elder unto the elect lady and her children. We don't know who this elect lady is. We're not given her name. Some people have decided to spiritualize when they come to Second John, and they make this elect lady a church. Her children, its members. Her sister, another church. Her sister's children, other church members. But if you read through the epistle and watch the apostle go back and forth from singular pronouns like thy and thee to plural pronouns like you and yours, if you read the whole epistle and see the instruction it's given, if you read the rest of the New Testament and find out that no church was ever addressed like that in any way, shape, or form, you come to the conclusion, by choosing a literal approach first, unless we have reason to be metaphorical, that this is written to a real woman. This is what makes it fit with the third epistle. The second and the third epistles are so similar in beginning, in ending, and in content... And who's going to make the well-beloved Gaius a church? Is that some city in Asia named Gaius? So we give up on their metaphorical speculations. It wouldn't change the lesson that much. But we don't believe it anyway. This is a real woman. She had real children. She had a sister. Both sisters were elect of God. And they had children walking in the truth. And it's a wonderful epistle for a... For women, mothers, to read and appreciate and for girls to aspire to. The elder unto the elect lady and her children. A mother, a godly mother with her children, whom I love in the truth. It is not wrong to love men and women in the truth. Right. Now, Paul wrote Timothy and he warned him about his relationship to women when he said in First Timothy chapter 5, that he better love and treat them with all purity as if they were sisters. Because we all are sisters anyway, but the apostle was warning Timothy about trouble he could get in with women. But here's the, our brother John loving a woman in the truth. Right. He didn't love her for any other reason but the fact that she was in the truth. Right. And if you're loving someone that is in the truth, that's as pure as it can get. And not only are you allowed that, you should aspire and seek that. Because we want to love all those that are in the truth, men and women. I'm thankful there were women that loved the Lord Jesus Christ and ministered to Him of their substance. And that Jesus Christ loved them in return. And took care of them and led them for much of His ministry. Whom I love in the truth. You will never have better friends than those in the truth. Love reaches its pinnacle when it's in the truth. Some of you younger people don't know this yet. I'm telling you from the Word of God and from my own experience. I had friends growing up when I was a teenager. Yes, they would have said we were friends and I would have foolishly said we were friends. But what kind of a relation was it? It was vain. It was vain and empty. It had nothing of the bond that you can have in the truth. I had friends at the bank. They would have said that we were friends when I worked there. But the relationship was pitiful in, compared, in comparison to the relationship I have in the truth. The restaurant that I operated for a number of years, we made lots of friends. Lots of them. Suppliers and customers alike. The day we walked out of that place was the last day we wanted to see or did see any of them. Because those friendships are vain. They're, they're not helpful. Those friends aren't going to stick with you when you need them. And even if they were to stick with you when you need them, they're not going to give you anything for your help. They're not going to lead you on to heaven, and they're not going to embrace you and take that journey toward heaven and there to sing redeeming grace. We differ on almost every subject known to man, even those that call themselves Christians. It's when we walk in the truth together that we have great friendships. And the elder John says to this elect lady, I love her in the truth. Because she walked in the truth. And John said, not I only. I'm not the only one that loves you, elect lady. But everyone that knows you loves you. Look what it says. But also all they that have known the truth. Everyone in that part of the world that knew about this elect lady loved her. Everyone that was in the truth loved this elect lady in the truth. What a woman. Ladies, aspire to this. Desire this. Covet this. Covet it earnestly. The Bible gives you leave to do so. The elder unto the elect lady and her children. What a wonderful family, whom I love in the truth, and not I only, but also all they that have known the truth. And then it says, for the truth's sake. And see, here is further explanation. Let me read the verse. For the truth's sake, which dwelleth in us and shall be with us forever. Further explanation is what united the apostle John's heart to this woman and her children. For the truth's sake. They love the truth. John loved the truth. Therefore he loved them. For the truth's sake. Because the truth is something wonderful that unites us together. What is this truth? There is a creator God in heaven. Right there we blow out most of mankind. There's a Creator God in heaven that sent His Son Jesus Christ to deliver His elect from their sins. That blows out a whole lot of Christians who don't believe that anymore. Then the Bible tells us how we ought to live. It governs every area of our lives, from the length of a woman's hair, to the way that marriage ought to be conducted, to the frequency of sex, to to modest clothing... To speech, to how you work, to how you manage employees, to how you pay taxes to the civil government. We believe these things. We have a Creator God. We have a Savior Jesus Christ. We have the hope of eternal life in heaven. We have a manual for our lives. And we're just beginning. We have a church and how to worship God. It's not left to our ideas, but the ideas are given to us from God Himself in the Word. And this is called the truth. For the truth's sake, this is the gospel and the wholesome words of the Lord Jesus Christ. That men, when they believe, they love other men that believe the same thing. For the truth's sake, which dwelleth in us. Do you know how the truth dwells in you? Because you are taught of God in your inner man. It is not just the truth comes to your ears from my voice, but you have been taught of God. It tells us that in John chapter 6 and Hebrews chapter 8, they shall not teach every man his neighbor, saying, Know the Lord. For they all shall know Me, from the least to the greatest. That's those that are born again and that are under the new covenant. They know God because they've been taught in their hearts by the Spirit of God. And so when a heart that's been taught by the Spirit of God loves the truth, loves the knowledge of God, loves Jesus Christ, loves the Bible wants to obey the Bible, loves the hope of heaven, hates this world, hates sin, loves righteousness. When they meet another person that has that same truth in their heart, there is a bond. There is a holy, godly, pure bond, and it is powerful. And it is far longer lasting than your fifth grade friend that ended on the last day of school. Oh, come on! Our friendship is going right into heaven. We just sang about that this morning. Thank you, Lord, for the truth. This love that John had for the elect lady was for the truth's sake, which dwelleth in us and shall be with us forever. This is not a temporary relationship. This is not a temporary friendship or temporary truth. Truth is going to be believed in heaven. Truth is going to be realized in heaven. It's going to dwell with us forever. Grace be with you, mercy and peace, from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. John, as so often, emphasizes truth and love. He gives a typical salutation. Grace, mercy and peace, from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, in truth and love. May the grace, mercy and peace of God Bless you, elect lady, and your children in truth and love. May God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, by His grace, mercy, and truth, build you up in truth and love. Because truth is the doctrine that defines us as Christians. Love is the relationship by which we relate to God and to one another. Now the Apostle stuck in these words. The Son of the Father. In His salutation, He is already addressing the heresy that was threatening this elect lady. And that was a denial that Jesus Christ had come in the flesh. And so he says here in his salutation, from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father. (laughs) He's going to explain that a little later, but right now in the salutation, he's already slipping it in for anyone that's reading this. And to comfort this lady that he's writing that he believes that Jesus Christ is the Son of the Father. And the grace, mercy, and peace is modifying the in truth and love because it's God's grace, mercy, and peace by which John blessed this lady to be increased in truth and love. Verse 4, I rejoice greatly that I found of thy children walking in truth as we have received a commandment from the Father. John rejoiced greatly Greatly, when he heard that this elect lady had some of her children walking in the truth. It ought to be our greatest joy to see one another walking in the truth. Not professing the truth. Not talking the truth. Not hearing the truth. Believing the truth. Walking in the truth. It ought to be our greatest joy. What what does the Bible tell us about charity? In 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 6, charity is... Rejoiceth in the truth. truth. It does not rejoice in iniquity. If you love someone, you never want to catch them or gloat or enjoy the fact that they were caught doing something wrong. That is hatred. That is vile hatred of the devil. That is murderous hatred. To have even a small sense of satisfaction or gloating because you find someone in iniquity love rejoices not that someone gets caught. Love doesn't rejoice in someone getting caught, but love rejoices that they're in the truth and they're walking in it. You should be excited when you see someone doing what is right and living it. Living the Gospel of Jesus Christ. This is is what motivated John. This is what motivates every true minister of Jesus Christ. They want to see men walking in the truth. And he said, I rejoice greatly that I found of thy children... Walking in truth as we have received a commandment from the Father. I mean, it was John that wrote, God seeks worshipers that would worship Him in spirit and in truth. And so it's that same man, John, here saying, I rejoice greatly that I found of thy children walking in truth. Now let me comfort parents here. First of all, there ought to be great joy when children are wise and walking in the truth. I mean, the book of Proverbs says that plainly, that fathers rejoice when their children walk in the truth. It is a great pleasure and comfort to a father to see his children obeying the Word of God. But let me comfort you. Not all children have been guaranteed by God to walk in the truth. Notice what it says. Of thy children. When we read in the Bible in places like Romans 9.24, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles, what do those words mean when you have that prepositional phrase? Of the Jews and of the Gentiles. That it's not all of them, it's only some of them. And so John said, I rejoice greatly that I found thy children. Know that I found of thy children walking in truth. Let me remind you that Abraham had Isaac and Ishmael. Let me remind you that Rebekah was told, You have two children in your womb. Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. Every mother should know that conception is granted by the God of heaven and that He is right in every choice He makes about your children. Whether they have two working eyes, two working ears, what their intelligence quotient might be, or whether their names are in the book of life. We do our best to train them all in the fear of the Lord, and let the Lord take care of their souls and spirits. But John rejoiced greatly that of this elect lady, This wonderful woman that's written in the Bible, not all of her children were saved. Not all of them were walking in the truth. Some of them were. And he rejoiced in that. Verse 5, And now I beseech thee, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment unto thee, but that which we had from the beginning, that we love one another. I never... Cease to be amazed how much emphasis there is in the Bible on loving one another. Everywhere you turn, there is more emphasis on loving one another. And the older I get and watch people relate to each other, I understand why. Now John has an elect lady that walks in the truth and her children are in the truth. And everybody loves this elect lady because she is such a virtuous, noble, and godly woman. And yet, as soon as he turns to business, he was thankful in verse 4. In verse 5, he turns to the business at hand. I beseech thee, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment unto thee, but that which we had from the beginning that we love one another. Lady, I know that you've heard this one from the beginning. Ever since you heard your first gospel message and the religion of Jesus Christ was preached to you, you knew that there was a great emphasis on loving one another. But my first piece of business in writing you is to beseech you that you would increase there more and more. Now, does that sound familiar to you? Is that found in the Bible someplace? Amen. It's First Thessalonians chapter 4, where Paul wrote the Thessalonians and said that he was thankful that they abounded in love toward each other, and that they were taught of God to love one another, but he prayed that that love would abound yet more and more. Amen. A minister of God can never be content with a level of progress in your soul, but needs to keep pressing you onward. And love is the greatest measure of a child of God. It is not faith. Devils believe and tremble, but devils don't love. It is love. And I am not some social preacher in Washington, D.C., stroking the ears of people before me. I'm telling you the truth of God's Word. Love is the greatest grace. Love is the greatest measure of a child of God. Love is the greatest work. And there's so much more that could be said about love. But notice the fifth verse with this wonderful lady that John is writing. He presses her to more love. He says, I'm not writing you a new commandment, but that which we've had from the beginning. And the beginning is not the beginning of the world. It's the beginning of the gospel that was preached. Jesus Christ preached a message that emphasized loving one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples. By the love ye have one to another. That was a commandment that came from Jesus Christ and was a fundamental part of the New Testament gospel. And Jesus Christ exemplified it. Look at the way He took care of His disciples. He washed their feet toward the end of His life. He loved them to the very end. And so, John exhorts this elect lady to love. And ladies, if you want to be like the elect lady, you'll be paying attention. What is John going to say to her to make her even better? To love one another. How how do you love one another? I've preached it so many times, you ought to be able to quote it to me. Forgiving each other when they irritate you. (laughs) Never wanting the limelight yourself, but wanting someone else to have it. Never even whispering or suggesting the idea that someone else did something wrong. But always praising and lifting up the reputation and character of others. Being willing to sacrifice your desires for the needs of another. Going out of your comfort zone to take care of other people. Being long-suffering toward them. Getting down and thinking more about their things than your own things. And on and on we could go. I've preached it before. Here's the emphasis on it, ladies. Verse 6, And this is love. Sounds like I'm reading 1 John 5. And this is love, that we walk after His commandments. This is the commandment that as ye have heard from the beginning, ye should walk in it. It is so easy to love. Treat another person the way the Bible tells you to treat people. If you keep the commandments of God, if you keep the Bible, you're going to love God and you're going to love men. It's First John 5, 1-3. Because the Bible covers all of your relationships with other people. Thou shalt not steal. You would never take anything from anyone. You wouldn't even take their character You wouldn't even take their reputation. You would do everything you could to protect all the assets of another person. You'd never bear false witness. You would never covet the things they have. There would never be envy or jealousy because you are thrilled that God blessed them instead of you. That's the truth of love. And how is love practiced? By keeping God's commandments toward other people. This is love, that we walk after His commandments. This is the commandment that, as ye have heard from the beginning, ye should walk in it. Remember, they had heard from the beginning from Jesus Christ Himself. If ye love me, keep my commandments. This is the commandment from the beginning, that true love is going to show itself in proper action toward me. Verse 7. For many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Many deceivers are entered into the world. Do not think that there's only a few false teachers, lady. Ladies, do not let your sentimental and emotional and tender nature cause you to think that because a man sounds good means that he is good. Right. He must be measured by doctrine. Many false deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. The primary doctrine that we all want to hold to, and especially ladies in this time, Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. Now look at the words: Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. It doesn't say they deny that Jesus was the Christ. That's what the Jews did. They did not believe that Jesus of Nazareth was the Christ or God's Messiah. It does not say that here. This was a different heresy. And while I could appeal to a whole lot of history and tradition to tell you what the Gnostics were teaching about Jesus Christ, look at the words and see what they tell us. They admit that Jesus is the Christ but they do not admit that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh but he was just a spiritual being without truly flesh and blood partaking of our full nature this was an error of the times because we we had the truth of Jesus Christ is this specific Jesus Christ had a body the fullness of the godhead dwelt in a body he ate and drank with us we were witnesses do you remember this apostle is the one that began his first epistle by saying That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen, and which we have handled, of the word of life. It is John that taught more than all the three other Gospels combined about the deity and the humanity of Jesus Christ. It was John that did that in his Gospel. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 14, and the Word was made... Flesh. And dwelt among us and we beheld His glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father. Jesus Christ had a real flesh body. What is the great mystery of godliness? God was manifest in the flesh. They were denying this. Notice, it's Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. They admitted Jesus Christ, but they did not admit that Jesus Christ had a flesh nature, which He did have. He did not take on himself the nature of angels, but of Abraham. He had a body like ours. This is verse 7. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. In order to be a deceiver, you have to profess to be one thing and teach something different. And so these were Christians that were pretending to be Christians, but they had a modified view of Jesus Christ as the Son of God. Lady, be careful there are many deceivers entered into the world that are denying Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. We could pursue this subject further and we could ask ourselves about the sonship of Jesus Christ. We hold in this church a particular view about the sonship of Jesus Christ. And if John were writing an elect lady today, he would raise that point of sonship because it's that important. If you mess up, on the sonship of Jesus Christ, you mess up on the doctrine of God and of Christianity. Because Christianity is centered in the Lord Jesus Christ. What do we believe different about Jesus Christ? The rest of the world that trusts in the creeds of men believes that Jesus Christ, in the God part of His being, was begotten in eternity. That His God part, His divine nature, was begotten by some mysterious process in eternity. He's eternally begotten. He's a begotten God. If you look at the New American Standard Version in John 1.18, Jesus is called the begotten God. We don't believe that ever. Jesus is the begotten Son because He's fully God in His nature. The Lord Jesus Christ we worship is the everlasting Father. Now try that on for size, you that believe in eternal sonship, in the creeds of men. Jesus is the everlasting Father because in His divine nature, He is everything that God is in a human body. Amen. The fullness of the God had dwelt in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. If John were writing to an elect lady today, he would say, scrap those confessions of men who feared Catholics and come back to the Bible and believe that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh and is the incarnate Son of God, born of the Virgin Mary. That's what we believe. That God, undivided, unbegotten, unproceeding, Jehovah Himself joined a human body in the womb of Mary, and the holy thing that was born of Mary is called the Son of God. That's what we believe. And we love it. And we're thankful to the Lord for showing us that. Anyone that teaches differently is a deceiver. Claiming to be a Christian and compromising either the humanity or the divinity of Jesus Christ. Are you with me? This verse is compromising the humanity. Jesus did not come in the flesh. What I just explained to you is compromising the divinity of Jesus Christ. In the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. It's not that in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was a God. That's what Jehovah's Witnesses say. No! We defy them on that. I'll tell you the name of Jesus Christ, according to Isaiah 9, 6, is the mighty God. Yes, that's the Savior that we worship. Let's go no further on that rabbit trail. I'll be happy to take that up with anyone who wants more on it. I'm going to get myself off track, but I want to tell you something precious. There was a time by the men who trained me in the ministry, that if they had preached 2 John, 90% of it would have come out of that verse. And I'm not going to give it 90%. I'm going to give it 1 out of 14. Because the rest of the Word of God is important as well. And I want the elect ladies in here not to get distracted with doctrine because the emphasis that he began with in verse 5 is love. That doesn't mean we love error. And that doesn't mean we love heretics. It means we love one another. Isn't that what it says in verse 5? One another. It doesn't tell us to love heretics or heresy. Verse 8. Look to yourselves. Now while I read this, you need to remember who yourselves are. Yourselves are the elect lady and her children. Look to yourselves, that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. When there are many deceivers in the world, what should everyone be doing, but especially women? Being very diligent and vigilant, about watching and carefully questioning doctrine. Look to yourselves, lady and your children. Do not believe everything you hear. Prove all things. Hold fast that which is good. 1 Thessalonians 5.21 Be like the noble Bereans and search the Scriptures daily to see if these things are so. This applies even more to women than it does to men for good reason. We're told in 1 Timothy 2, and 14, 13 and 14, that the woman being deceived was in the transgression. The woman in, in your mother Eve. Sarah, you have a great-grandmother named Eve. Eve listened to the devil. God said, thou shalt surely die. The devil said, thou shalt not surely die. She believed the devil. Even though he contradicted God. And that showed that women and girls can be deceived. And so women and girls need to pay extra attention to this verse. Look to yourselves. Be vigilant. And a great woman is. And there are some great women in the Bible. And they were vigilant. And they were diligent. And they need to reject deceivers that enter into the world that we lose not those things which we have wrought. Do you know what? You can backslide. You can make a whole lot of progress in the truth of the gospel and a false teacher can come along and you can listen to him and you can slide back. And you will lose the progress that you had made and you won't get a full reward. A full reward is being consistent to the end. A full reward is like the Apostle Paul. I have kept the faith. I have finished my course. I have fought a good fight. I never get them in order. So don't question me on that. That's one of the toughest verses in the Bible for me. But you know the point anyway. He got a full reward because he finished his course, he kept the faith, and he fought a good fight. And ladies need to do that as well. I don't want to turn to very many places, but if you turn one page, in my Bible it's one page, it might be no pages in yours, to the book of Jude. Look at how Jude puts it after he describes heretics and false teachers. He says in verse 20, Jude, verse 20, But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Look at the duties given to the readers of Jude's epistle. Building up yourselves, praying in the Holy Ghost, keeping yourselves in the love of God, And looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. God's not going to do it for you. Those are four things you need to do. Building up yourselves on your most holy faith. Continue to make progress in the gospel and doctrine of the Lord Jesus Christ by adding to the things that you are learning about Him until you've got the full message of the gospel. And then don't let go of it. Keeping yourselves in the love of God. Don't slide out of loving God to love the world. Don't slide out of the love of God to love your husband. Your husband should always be second to the love of God. Back to 2 John. Look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought. Because he's describing false teachers. And we can lose the truth that we've been taught if we forget it. If we get slothful. If we let false teachers in. If you go home and read a bunch of Jimmy Dobson, you're going to lose. The things that God has wrought in you by giving you the truth. That's right. If you want to read good books on child training, I'm all for it. I'll help you find them. But I'm not going to help you read a heretic. Because you'll lose your understanding of the gospel. And you won't get a full reward. We want a full reward of the Lord Jesus Christ that we have finished our course. Right. Verse 9, whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ, hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. This transgression in verse 9 is describing leaving the doctrine of Jesus Christ. The facts that we know about Jesus Christ. Where is Jesus Christ right now? Seated at the right hand of God in heaven. That's a fact about Jesus Christ. The world says that Jesus Christ went to hell for three days and three nights... While his body was in the grave. We reject that. Can you think of a man that he told where he was going to be after he died that day? Can you think of a man? The thief on the cross. cross. What did he say to him? Today Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. But do you know what? There's a little thing called the Apostles' Creed. Everybody thinks they believe the Apostles' Creed. And it says that Jesus died and descended into hell. Our Jesus didn't descend into hell. Right. There wasn't any reason for Him to go there. That's right. Our Jesus went to heaven and the bosom of Abraham and was with God His Father that very day that He died. And it was at the end of that day when He said that. There's a fact about Jesus. We never want to leave the doctrine of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ said, I lay down My life for the sheep. We will not leave that doctrine of Jesus Christ. He did not say, I also die for the goats. He said, I lay down my life for the sheep. And so we hold to it. Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. The evidence that we want to look for, and this elect lady was to look for, is how closely they held the doctrine of Jesus Christ. If you're holding the doctrine of Jesus Christ and loving it, not just holding it as some intellectual truth, but loving it, every fact you can learn about Jesus Christ, it shows that God has taught you that in your heart. It shows that God is dwelling in your heart and that you're of God. But if you start wandering all over the place, like the Jehovah's Witnesses and the Mormons, listen, the Mormons cannot figure out strictly the difference between these four beings. Jesus, Adam, Michael, and Satan. They get all four of them confused in one person, one being. It's, it, it's incredible to even try to read them and to sort it out. Because they confuse the doctrine of Jesus Christ. Because is, do you think there's a being around that wants to confuse the doctrine of Jesus Christ? Amen. It, is there one man that the devil hates in the world? Amen. It's Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Amen. And what is the fundamental doctrine of, the, of Christianity? Jesus of Nazareth is the Son of God. Amen. And we know what that means. And we're going to hold to what that means. Amen. And ladies need to hold to what that means. Here's further warning for an elect lady and her children. If there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, this doctrine that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh, receive him not into your house, neither bid him Godspeed. If any of these false teachers come along, lady. Now if you think, think think for a moment with me. and you should read the Bible. Here's an elect lady that John loved greatly. Everyone that knew the truth in those parts loved this woman. And then a warning, don't receive false teachers into your house. What must this lady have been known for? Hospitality for traveling preachers. He's going to tell us it very plainly about Gaius in the third epistle, but I just want you to see that by connecting the verses in this second one, that this woman opened up her house to hospitality. It wasn't It wasn't a Jehovah's Witness at her door knocking. This was a woman that was going to take them into her house and have them there for a meal overnight, a week, whatever. No. You know, if one of our ladies wants to go out and tell a Jehovah's Witness where they're... Well, I don't know if you need to tell them that. But if you want to go out and tell them the truth on some point, go ahead and do it. But don't don't bring them into your house. Don't sit them down for a meal. Don't say, God bless you, when they leave your porch. As the next verse is going to tell us. Because if you do that, then you're a partaker with them by being an accomplice. If you load the gun and hand it to somebody else who shoots somebody, you're an accomplice in murder. If you say, God bless you, to someone who denies the doctrine of Jesus Christ, you are a support and a help and an agreement with them by saying those words. It's in the tender heart of a woman to want to say kind things to everybody. But John says, don't do it. But this is a woman who entertained, like a Lydia. Remember Lydia? As soon as she was baptized, she said, Paul, Luke, and the rest of you, if you've counted me faithful, come and stay in my house. you know what? A widow can't be taken into the number of a church and receive the full-time support of a church unless she has entertained strangers in her house. 1 Timothy 5.10 It's one of the qualifications for a great woman is to entertain strangers in her house. And the best strangers to entertain are preachers of the Gospel as we're going to read about Gaius. That's what Lydia did. Don't do it to anyone that doesn't have the right doctrine of Jesus Christ, lady. Do not do it. If there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him Godspeed. Verse 11, For he that biddeth him Godspeed is partaker of his evil deeds. You are participating in that false doctrine and that heresy by helping him with a meal, helping him with a bed for the night, or helping him with a blessing. Don't do any of those things. Leave him alone. Verse 12, Having many things to write unto you, I would not write with paper and ink, but I trust to come unto you and speak face to face, that our joy may be full. This this says something about email and phones, doesn't it? They're not as good as when we get together. Right. That's true. It's not as good as being face to face with someone. When you're in someone's presence, that is a greater blessing. Now, I find this almost amusing. He, he didn't say very much, did he? But he says, having many things to write unto you, I would not write with paper and ink, but I trust to come unto you and speak face to face. I've got a whole lot of things I'd like to talk about, but I'll do it when I get there in person. Hmm. All the other things must not have been as important as these things. Therefore, these things must be a priority for an elect lady and her children. And what are these things? That you love one another, that you love one another by keeping the commandments of God, and that you hold fast to the doctrine about Jesus Christ, and that you never show female kindness by hospitality or a blessing to heretics. Are women tempted to do that? Oh, he's such a nice man. Well, yes. So was Jack the Ripper during the daytime. If a lot of conspirator, conspiracy theorists are right, he was the court physician of England. He was just a little nasty at night. You know, Charles Manson was, was thought to be a pretty nice guy by the stupid little groupies that followed him. Don't tell me about he's such a nice man. He's got such a nice bedside manner with Grandma. That doesn't matter. What matters is, what does he do with the doctrine of Jesus Christ? You say, well, the Bible is so hard, it's so black and white, it sounds so objective. Right. And that's why the warning is given to a lady who are not very objective. They're often subjective. Don't be offended. Get excited. You have an epistle written to a lady. But when I read, I have many things to say to you. Why did he write the epistle? Ah, these things must be important. Ladies, can you love one another? And can you hold fast to Bible doctrine? Can you love doctrine? There are ladies in this church that love Bible doctrine. I see it in their faces. I hear it in their words. They love to read. They love to learn Bible doctrine. They love to learn about heresies and despise heresies and love the truth. And I'm thankful for our women in this church. We've got some women that would be much like jail if they met a heretic. If he got into their house, they'd be putting a tent stake through his head to rid the world of one more deceiver and antichrist about the doctrine of Jesus Christ. Now that is the exposition. Let's grab a few lessons from Second John. The, the, the epistle is simple. The epistle is very simple. But can we see into the verses and pull out some lessons? Ladies, here, here is what I want to give you. Women can have respected roles in the churches of Jesus Christ. There is an epistle to a lady. Rejoice. Amen. Not only did the great beloved Apostle John love her, but he said everyone else that had ever met her that was in the truth loved her. It reminds me of Anna. In Luke chapter 2, verses 36 through 38. A woman that had been a widow for many, many years, but who gave herself to fasting and prayer. She spoke of redemption to all those that looked for it in Jerusalem. She was a prophetess. A great woman in Luke chapter 2. I've already mentioned Lydia. What a great woman whose heart the Lord opened. She was a seller of purple. She had some money. She wasn't living in a one-room shack. She had a big house. She said, Luke, Paul, and the rest of you men, if you found me to be faithful in the things of the Lord, stay at my house for as long as you're in Philippi. I come along to Romans 16. I want to read this to you ladies. The first two verses of Romans 16. What sister is going to be named there, ladies? Phoebe. Here's Paul closing out his epistle to the Romans. I commend unto you Phoebe, our sister, which is a servant of the church which is at Cenchrea that ye receive her in the Lord as becometh saints, and that ye assist her in whatsoever business she hath need of you, for she hath been a succorer of many and of myself also. Paul wrote the Romans and said, There is a great woman named Phoebe who helps the church at Cenchrea She's coming to Rome. I expect all of you to receive her as it is fitting for saints to receive a great woman in the faith and that whatever she needs of you, you give it to her because she is a faithful woman. She has helped many in other places and she's even helped me. Romans 16. Amen. Ladies, Is that exciting? I know sometimes you may feel rather beat down because so much of the Bible is about the men. But I give you 2 John this morning, and I give you Phoebe. It's back to 2 John is where I'm looking. It says that I love you, elect lady, but also all they that have known the truth love you. Now what does it take to have... A wide reputation where everyone loves you. Is that something that God just gives some people and doesn't give it to others? Or is it because some ladies make a particular choice? I want to please God and men. In that order. The Lord Jesus Christ grew up in favor with God and men. Luke 2.52 Can a woman do that? Right. Here's what it says in the Bible. A good name. Is Phoebe a pretty good name? A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches. That verse tells me two things. It tells me that having a great name like Phoebe is more important than being rich. That's the simple point. The one that's not so obvious is a great name is a choice. Amen. It has nothing to do with what... Others have said about you, done to you, or what the Lord has given you or has not given you. A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches. And it says something else, but I'm going to have to look at it. Here it is. And loving favor rather than silver and gold. Loving favor. Do you know what that means in that verse? To have others love you with favor is a choice that you make And it ought to be more important to you than silver and gold. Proverbs 22 and verse 1. To have a great name is a choice. It is a choice to rule your tongue and to have that meek and quiet spirit that is in the sight of God of great price. It is to go out of your way to serve in a gentle, meek, humble way those that need help. If you were to do those things and to love one another, your reputation will rise until your name is a great name. It will. The point that I'm trying to give you is a lesson from 2 John. A wide reputation and a great reputation is a choice to rule your spirit because by nature there is nothing lovely about you. You say, I thought you were going to make it through a whole sermon without getting nasty. Are you kidding? Did you really think I could do that? It's a choice. Because what you are by nature is a dysfunctional, unkind, offensive, selfish little person. It is by the grace of God and a choice by that grace to be a selfless, habit-hating, functional, loving, caring person. May the Lord bless all of you to that end. You know, I read in the book of Proverbs in Proverbs 11:16, "A gracious woman retaineth honor. A woman that is gracious is always going to be honored and loved. Phoebe had to have been a very gracious woman. The elect lady had to be a very gracious woman. Ladies, your reputation is your choice. You want to give us your opinion? Every time something comes up, you want to yap. Bye bye. You lose. Amen. Sorry. You're wrong. It's a meek and quiet spirit. If you need help on the word quiet, go home and grab a dictionary. Check out the Greek and the Hebrew. It's not a difficult word. It means shut up. It's so simple. Just be quiet. Do you know you can save yourself so much grief and you can build your reputation just by not saying anything? Do you know what Proverbs 17:27 and 28 says? that if a man will just keep his mouth closed, everybody will esteem him to be a wise man. Ooh, that man, he's just standing there looking at us, and he's not saying anything. He must have some deep thoughts. He is working me over right now and thinking to himself, you're an idiot. That's, and you esteem the man a wise man, and he's just standing there being quiet. But do you know what happens when you open your mouth? You remove all doubt that you are a fool. So just be quiet. I'm speaking to, to women more than I am to men. There's some saying that I don't remember saying very really well, but I can remember the Bible. Right. I think it's something like, it's better to keep your mouth closed and be thought a fool than to open it and remove all doubt. And Proverbs seventeen twenty seven had that about 3,000 years before the man who got the credit for it in our country. Because that's the Word of God. ladies, It's exciting. Women can have respected roles and you can have a wide reputation respected even by men. It is a godly and desired trait to love good men and women. Do you know what a condition for a minister is in Titus chapter 1? He must be a lover of good men. That's a condition for the ministry? Are you kidding me? Yes, it is. Titus chapter 1 and verse 8. If a man does not love other good men, what is it saying about his character? Why does he want to hang around with men that aren't good men? Why doesn't he have a heart that is bonded to good men? It's a condition for a prerequisite to be a pastor is in Titus one eight. And women and men can both be good and they should be loved. John loved the elect lady. Love and friendship are best when they're in the truth is a fourth little lesson. Don't you all believe that? Oh, those of you that have tried friends outside of the truth have found out that they're fair-weather friends and they never give you anything by which to live. I love David when he said in Psalm 119.63, I am a companion of all them that fear Thee and of them that keep Thy precepts. David was a friendly man and David loved having friends. And men loved David. Don't you know about 600 Gittites? That never left David. They left their land, the Philistines. They were his personal bodyguards. The toughest fighting force this world has ever seen. 600 Gittites. And they stood with David. Even when he had to leave Jerusalem. When his son took over. And the army was on the side of his son. And David had to crawl out of Jerusalem. 600 Gittites went with him. Because they loved David. David said, I, I am a companion of all them that fear thee and that keep thy commandments. That is true friendship. That was taught to us in Second John because John said, I love her and everyone loves her for the truth's sake. Because she stood in the truth and she loved the truth. It, women, to the degree that you love the truth, you are going to have friends all of your life. <clears throat> to the degree that the truth doesn't matter much to you or the faith of God's elect... Or loving the Bible, you're not going to have very many close friends. It's your choice. And it's a warning. Real friendship is found in truth. Real love is in truth. Isn't it obvious from these two epistles that if we were to look for an optimal marriage, an optimal marriage, that means the very best marriage there could be, it would be getting gayest together with the elect lady. Right? Do you follow me? Getting Gaius together with the elect lady. And if you say something really stupid to me like, well, what if they don't like to hike? What if one of them doesn't like to hike and the other one does? Oh, what happened to you? Did your mother drop you after you were born? Why would you even think that? That has nothing to do with it. Give me a Gaius. What's a Gaius? We're going to learn about them in the second service today. A gaius is a man that walks in the truth, and the elect lady is a woman walking in the truth. Give me two of them that are walking in the truth. They will have as good of a marriage as is possible on this earth. It has nothing to do with compatibility of what you're thinking. The compatibility that counts the most is we both love the truth. A lesson. From Second John, a mother's high goal ought to be to see her children walking in the truth. Is that the most important thing to you? You know, I get nervous and I say some pretty harsh things sometimes about you like to see your children clothed well. Well, so do mama skunks. You say, I like to see my children fed well. I want to make sure that they get three square meals a day and take their vitamins. So does mama skunk. I want to make sure that my children get a good education. That they all graduate from high school, or they all graduate from college, or they all get doctorate degrees. So does Mama Skunk. Have you ever seen Mama Skunk take her little skunklets out and teach them how to forage for berries in the woods? They all get a good education. You haven't done anything yet that matches up with Second John. Do you know what's in 2 John? Loving the Word of God, walking in the truth, loving the Lord Jesus Christ, holding fast to the doctrine of Jesus Christ, knowing how to pray, knowing how to love and to serve others, having a selfless attitude toward anyone else, always wanting to put them up and put yourself down, learning how to love, that is what a mother ought to teach her children. Ladies, do you hear me? There's gold in Second John. I rejoice greatly that I found of thy children walking in truth. To give your children the truth of the gospel is the greatest heritage that you can give them. That the Bible has the answer for everything. That Gaius would make the best man to marry. All those things are found in the Bible. And a good mother teaches her children those things. Mothers, I've already comforted you that God may not give all of your children a place in the book of life and to walk in the truth. But the Bible evidence is that He will give you most of them. Walking in the truth is not hearing it. Just because you get your children to come to church with you is not enough, mothers. Because they say it and I baptize them isn't enough. Because they believe it isn't enough, it's that they walk in it. That the way they talk at home that the way they treat their brothers and sisters at home, that the way you see them wanting to serve everyone else at church rather than be served, those are the things you want to look for and that you want to teach your children. Even little girls like Abigail. To be selfless and to serve others. This is a real mother. Walking in the truth. Walking in love. Love isn't feelings. Ladies, Love isn't feelings. You say, is that in 2 John? It sure is. It's in verse 6. And this is love that we walk after His commandments. Love is an objective thing about how you treat another person. I know what the world's trying to sell you, and I know what your little heart's trying to sell you. That feelings are love. But love is how you treat another person according to the Word of God. This is a lesson, and it's a lesson of gold. It's precious. It's precious. It's called like precious faith. This is the truth. Ladies, hear these things and hold fast to them. Love is keeping God's commandments. There are many false teachers. Do not be deceived by their mannerisms. Not all men are honest, nor are all men sincere. Measure them by the Word of God and the fruit of their preaching on people's lives. Diligence. And vigilance are crucial not to backslide. A great woman is a vigilant woman. Not one who relaxes and thinks, I'm in the church, we have a good church, we have a decent pastor, my children are attending, and you get slothful. You you relax. You've got to be diligent, looking to yourselves, lest you fail of a full reward. I want all of you to get a full reward. Doctrine is very important, and ladies ought to love doctrine. If they don't hold to the right doctrine about Jesus Christ and they do not know the God of heaven. Reject every other standard and measure that men use to measure preachers or churches or doctrine. Measure it by the Word of God alone, ladies. Be tenacious about it. I commend most of you in the, on that subject. Avoid company or fellowship with heretics. It's in the heart of a woman to want to make everyone feel comfortable. It's in the heart of a woman to be gentle. Forgiving and overlooking, except with her husband. But for most men, I'm just trying to get your attention again. Women, you want to make everyone feel comfortable, but there is a place to draw a line and say, there's no way I'm having him in our house. There's no way I'm going to support that ministry anymore. There's no way I'm going to read any more of those books. There's no way I'm going to pray for them anymore there's no way I'm going to send them any more money because there is a place to draw a line and say no more. That is heresy. That is false doctrine and I am not going to have anything to do with it. These are John's gentle words to an elect lady that match up with Paul's, if any man or an angel from heaven preaches anything different than I've preached, let him be accursed. John just put it a little gentler. And it's not because John was an effeminate apostle. I want to rem- Don't ever forget that John was one of the sons of thunder. He wanted to call fire down from heaven like Elijah and not burn up an altar and a sacrifice, but burn up a city. Because they hadn't got excited enough about the arrival of the Lord. Now that is aggressive evangelism. Turn or burn. Amen. But that's John. People think that John's effeminate. He wasn't at all. He was a son of thunder. But he's telling you women right here, that any other gospel than what had been preached to them and they had received was wrong. Not even to wish them well, or to give them a meal, but to cut them off. And this ought to teach women that there is no association with evil. That when we have to cut off church members, or we have to cut off other churches in a community, not us, but other churches in the past, women had to be tough like the elect lady in Second John and not get emotional about it. Unity and peace are nothing. If gospel purity is betrayed, the children of thy elect sister greet thee. Amen. Isn't that wonderful that we have two sisters in the Bible that were both elect? And they had some cousins that were walking in the truth and wanted to greet each other. Do we have any of that in this church? And are we going to have some more of that? With the way that this church is inbreeding, we ought to. And may the Lord have mercy upon us and bless us to have a whole lot of elect sisters with elect children that are walking in the truth. I pray that you ladies will be excited to be like this elect lady and to raise your children and to teach them to walk in the truth as she did. And may you be worthy of not an epistle by John, but a commendation in heaven and a full reward by the Lord of John even our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.